Chapter Five of The Wooden Horse by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five. As he felt the crunch of the gravel beneath his feet, he was possessed with the spirit of adventure. The dark house behind him had been holding him captive. It had held him against his will, imprisoning him, tormenting him, and the tortures that he had endured were many and severe. He had not known that he could have felt it so much that absolute rejection of him by everything in which he had trusted but he would mind these things no longer he would even try not to mind robin that would be hard and as he thought of it even now for a moment tears had filled his eyes that however was cowardice he must fling away the hopes of twenty years and start afresh with the knowledge one of his experience and the strength that he had snatched from his wounds after all a man was a fool to mope and whine when that wind from the sea was beating in his ears and the sea scents of clover and poppies and salt-stinging foam were brought to his nostrils and the trees rustled like the beating of birds wings in the velvety star-lighted sky a garden was wonderful at night a place of strange silences and yet stranger sound trees darkly guarding mysterious paths that ran into caverns of darkness the scents of flowers rising from damp earth heavy with dew flowers that were weary with the dust and noise of the day and slept gently gratefully with their heads drooping to the soil their petals closed by the tender hands of the spirits of the garden the night sounds were strangely musical cries that were discordant in the day mingled now with the running of distant water the last notes of some bird before it slept the measured harmony of a far-away bell the gentle rustle of some arrival in the thickets the voice that could not be heard in the noisy chatter of the day rose softly now in a little song of the night and the dark trees and the silver firelight of the stars and it was all very romantic of course harry trojan had flung his cares behind him and stepped over the soft turf of the lawns a free adventurer it was not really very late and there was an hour before dinner but he was not sure that he minded about that they would be glad to dine without him there crossed his mind the memory of a night in new zealand he had been walking down to the harbour in auckland and the moon had shone in the crooked waterside streets its white cold light crossed with dark black shadows of roofs and gables suddenly a woman's voice called for help across the silence and he had turned and listened it had called again and thinking that he might help someone in distress he had burst a dark silent door stumbled up crooked wooden stairs and entered an empty room as he passed the door there was a sound of skirts and a door at the other end of the room had closed there was no one there only a candle guttering on the table the remains of a meal a woman's hat on the back of a chair he had waited for some time in silence he had called and asked if there was any one there he had tried the farther door and found it shut and so cursing himself for a fool he had passed down into the street again and the episode had ended there was really nothing in it nothing at all but it was the atmosphere the atmosphere of romantic adventure shot suddenly across a rather drab and colourless existence and he had liked to dwell on the possibilities of the affair and asked himself about it who was the woman and why had she cried out 
why was there no one in the room and why had no one answered him he did not know and really he did not care and indeed it was better that the affair should be left in vague and incomplete outline it was probably commonplace enough had one only known and sordid too perhaps but to-night was just such a night as that other he would go to the cove and find his romance where he had left it twenty years ago it was the hour in pendragon when shops are closing and young men and maidens walk out there were a great many people in the street girls with white tired faces young men with bright ties and a self-assertive air a type of person new to pendragon since harry's day the young man who served you respectfully almost timidly behind the counter was now self-assertive taking the middle of the street with a flourish of his cane fragments of conversation came to harry's ears mother being out i thought how i might venture out but not what she'd kick up a rare old fuss so i told her if it weren't no business of ours and the sooner she caught up on the idea the better for all parties seeing that ow well i never did and you told him that did you i always said you'll come pluck if you really wanted to a gramophone from an open window up the street shrieked the alluring refrain of she's a different girl again and a man who had established himself at the corner under the protecting glare of two hissing gas jets urged on the company present an immediate acceptance of his stupendous offer gold watches for half a crown positively for one evening and order to clear all above board solid gold and cheap at a sovereign the plunge into the cool depths of the winding little path that led down to the cove was delicious oh the contrast of it the noise and ugly self-assertion of the town flinging its gas jets against the moon and covering the roll of the sea with the shriek of the gramophone he crossed through the turnstile at the end of the road and passed up the hill that led to the cove at a bend the view of the sea came to him the white moonlight lying a path of dancing shining silver on the grey sweep of the sea a wind was blowing turning the grey into sudden points of white like ghostly hands rising for a moment suddenly from immensity and then sinking silently again their prayers unanswered as he passed up the hill he was aware of something pattering beside him at first it was a little uncanny in that dim uncertain light and he stopped and bent down to the road it was a dog a fox terrier of a kind dirty and even in that light most obviously a mongrel but it jumped up at him and put its paws on his knee well company's company he said with a laugh i don't know where you sprung from but we'll travel together for a bit the dog ran up the hill and for a moment stood out against the moon a shaggy disreputable dog with a humorous stump of a tail he stood there with one ear flapping back and the other cocked up a most ridiculous figure harry laughed again and the dog barked they walked down the hill together the cove was dark but from behind shuttered windows lamps twinkled mysteriously and the red glow from the inn flung a circle of light down the little cobbled street the beat of the sea came solemnly like the tramp of invisible armies from the distance there was no other sound save the tremble of the wind in the trees 
harry pushed open the door of the inn and entered followed by the dog the place was the same nothing had been changed there was the old wooden gallery where the fiddle had played such merry tunes the rough uneven floor had the same holes the same hills and dales the great settle by the fire was marked as in former years with mysterious crosses and initials cut by jack-knives in olden days the two lamps shone in their accustomed places one over the fire another by the window the door leading to the bar was half open and in the distance voices could be heard but the room itself seemed to be empty a great fire leapt in the fireplace and the gold light of it danced on the red brick floor the peculiar scent as of tobacco and ale and the salt of the sea and faintly the breath of mignonette and geraniums struck out the long intervals since harry had been there before twenty years ago he had breathed the same air and now he was back there again and nothing was changed the dog had run to the fire and sat in front of it now wagging his stump of a tail his ear cocked harry laughed and sat down in the settle the burden of the last week was flung off and he was a free man a long lean man with a straggling beard stood in the doorway and watched him then he came forward mr harry he said and held out his hand harry started up i'm sorry he said stammering i don't remember we were wondering said the long thin man slowly when you was coming down not that you'd remember faces that's not to be expected especially in foreign parts which is confusing and difficult for a man but i'm bill tregarvis what have had you out fishing many's the time not that you'd remember faces he said again looking a little timidly at him but he did harry remembered him perfectly bill tregarvis why of course many was the time they had seen life together he had had a wife and two boys harry wrung his hand and laughed remember bill why of course it was only for a moment i had got the face all right but not the name yes i have as a matter of fact come before but there were things that have made it difficult at first and of course there was a lot to do up there but it's good to be down here the other place is changed i had been a bit disappointed but here it is just the same the same old lights and smells and see the same old friends you think that tregarvis looked at him because we've been fearin' that all your travelin' and sightseein' might a harmed you, that you'd be thinkin' a bit like the folk up along with their cars and gas and filth. Ah, it's a changed world up there, Mr. Harry. But down along, there's no difference. It's the sea keeps us steady. And then they talked about the old adventurous days when Harry had been eighteen, and the world had been a very wonderful place. The herring fishing, the bathing, the adventures on the moor, the tales at night by candlelight the fun of it all the room began to fill and one after another men came forward and claimed friendship on the score of old days and perils shared they received him quite simply he was mr harry but still one of themselves taking his place with them telling tales and hearing them in return there were nine or ten of them and a wild company they made crowding round the fire with the flames leaping and flinging gigantic shadows on the walls the landlord a short ruddy-faced man with white hair and a merry twinkle of the eye was one of the best men that harry had ever known 
he was a man whose modesty was only equalled by his charity a man of great humour wide knowledge of the most varied subjects and above all a passionate faith in the country of his birth cornwall he was like most cornishmen superstitious but his belief in nature as a wise and beneficent mother stern but never unjust controlled his will and justified his actions in those early days harry had worshipped him with that whole-hearted adoration bestowed at times by young hero worshippers on those that have travelled a little way along the path and have learnt their lesson wisely tony newsome's influence had done more for harry in those early years than he had realized but he knew now what he owed to him as he sat by his side and recalled those other days they had written once or twice but tony was no correspondent and hated to have a pen between his fingers drive a horse pull a boat shoot a gun mind a net but god help me if i write he had said not that he objected to books he had read a good deal and cared for it but god's air in the day and a merry fire at night these little room for pen and ink was his justification he treated harry now as his boy of twenty years ago and laughed at him and scolded him as of old he did not question him very closely on the incidents of those twenty years and indeed with them all harry noticed that there was very little curiosity as to those other countries they welcomed him quietly simply they were glad that he was there again sitting with them taking his place naturally and easily and again the twenty years seemed as nothing he sat with the dog at his feet newsome's hand was on his knee and every once and again he gave a smothered chuckle i knew you'd come back mr harry he said i just waited once the sea has got hold of you it doesn't loosen its grip so quick i knew you'd come back they told wild stories as they had been telling them for many years at the same hour in the same place strange things seen at sea the lights and mists of the moor survivals of smuggling days and fights on the beach under the moon and it always was the sea they might leave it for a moment perhaps but they came back to it the terror of it the joy of it the cruelty of it the mistress that held them chained that called their children and would not be denied the god that they served they spoke of her softly with lowered voices and a strange reverence they had learnt her moods and her dangers they knew that she could caress them and then of a sudden strike them down but they loved her and she had claimed harry again everything for which he had been longing during that past week had come to him at last their friendship their faith in an old god and above all that sense of a great adventure for the spirit of which he had so diligently been searching up along life was an affair of measured rules and things foreseen down along it was a game of unending surprises and a gossamer web shot with the golden light of romance highfalutin perhaps but to harry as he sat before the fire with the strange dogs and those ten wild men words and pictures came too speedily to admit of a sense of the absurd an old man with a long white beard and a shaking hand knew strange tales of the moor 
when the mists creep up and blot out the land then the four grey stones take life and are the giants of old and strange sacrifices are grimly performed tall's carleon had seen things late on a moonlit night with the mist swimming white and silvery grey over the moor he had lost his way and had met a man of mighty size who had led him by the hand there had been spirits about and at the foot of the grey stone a pool of blood he had never been the same man since there are spirits and spirits said the old man solemnly and them's good and some bad for the proper edification of us mortals and for my part it's not for the like of us to meddle he stroked his beard a very gloomy old man with a blind eye harry remembered that he had had a wife twenty years before so he inquired about her dead said the old man fiercely dead and thank god she went out like a candle he muttered this so fiercely that harry said no more and the white beard shone in the light of the fire and his blind eye opened and shut like a box and his wrinkled hand shook on his knee the fishing had been bad of late and here again they spoke as if some personal power had been at work there were few there who had not lost some one during the years that they had served her and the memory of what this had been and the foreshadowing of the dangerous future hung over them in the room songs were sung jokes were made but they were the songs and laughter of men on guard with the enemy to be encountered perhaps in the morning harry sat in his corner of the great seat watching the leaping of the flames his hand on newsome's shoulder listening to the murmuring voices at his side he scarcely knew whether he were awake or sleeping their laughter came to him dimly and it seemed that he was alone there with only newsome by his side and the dog sleeping at his feet the tobacco smoke hung in grey-blue wreaths above his head and the gold light of the two lamps shone mistily without shape or form perhaps it was really a dream the old man with the white beard and the blind eye was sleeping his head on his breast a man with a vacant expression was telling a tale heavily slowly gazing at the fire the others were not listening or at any rate not obviously so they too gazed at the fire it had as it were become personal and mesmerized the room perhaps it was a dream he would wake and find himself at the flutes there would be claire and garrett and robin he would put all that away now he would forget it for a moment at least he had failed them they had not wanted him and had told him so but here they had known him and loved him they had welcomed him back as though there had been no intervening space of years they at least had known what life was they had not played with it like those others they had not surrounded themselves with barricades of artificiality and glanced through distorting mirrors at their own exaggerated reflection they had seen life simply fearlessly accepting their peril like men and enjoying their fate with the greatness of soul that simplicity had given them they were not like those others those on the hill had invaded the sea with noisy clamour had greeted her familiarly and offered her bathing machines and boarding-houses these others had reverenced her 
and learnt to know her alone on the downs in the first grey of the dawn or secretly when the breakers had rolled in over the sand carrying with them the red and gold of some gorgeous sunset he contrasted them in his mind the trojans and the greeks he turned round a little in his seat and listened to the story it were a man a strange man with horns and hoofs so he said and a merry deceiving eye but he couldn't see him clear because of the mist that hung there with the moon pushing through like a candle he said the man was laughing to himself and playing with leaves that danced at his feet under the wind it can't have been far from the town because joe heard st elmo's bell ringing and he could hear the sea quite plain he the voice seemed to trail off again into the distance harry's thoughts were with this future what was he to do it seemed to him that his crisis had come and was now facing him should he stay or should he flee why should he not escape away into the country where he could live his life without fear where there would be no contempt no hampering family traditions should he stay and wait while robin learnt to hate him at the thought his face grew white and he clenched his hands robin 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 it always came back to that and there seemed no answer that dream of love between father and son the dream that he had cherished for twenty years was shattered and the bubble had burst so joe said he didn't know but he thought it was to the left and down through the cove to the old church he meant and the man laughed and danced with the leaves through the mist and once joe thought he was gone and there he was back again laughing no he would face it he would take his place as he had intended he would show them of what stuff he was made and robin would see at last the boy was young it would of course take time the door of the inn opened and someone came in the lamps flared in the wind and there was a cry from the fireplace mr bethel well i'm right glad harry started bethel that had been the name of his friend the girl who had come to tea the newcomer was a large man over six feet in height and correspondingly broad his head was bare and his hair was a little long and curly his eyes were blue and twinkled and his face was pleasantly humorous and in the mouth and chin strong and determined he wore a grey flannel suit with a flannel collar and he was smoking a pipe of great size newsom starting to his feet went forward to meet him bethel came to the fire and talked to them all there was obviously a free companionship between them that told of long acquaintance he was introduced to harry i've heard of you mr trojan he said and have been expecting to meet you i think that we have interests in common at least an affection for cornwall harry liked him he looked at him frankly between the eyes there was no hesitation or disguise there had been no barrier or division and harry was grateful bethel sat down by the fire and a discussion followed about matters of which harry knew nothing there was talk of the fishing prospects which were bad a gloom fell upon them all and they cursed the new pendragon the race had grown too fast for them and competition was too keen but harry noticed that they did not yet seem to have heard of the proposed destruction of the cove then he got up to go they asked him to come again and he promised that he would bethel rose too if you don't object mr trojan he said i'll make one with you i had only looked in for a moment and had never intended to stay i was on my way back to the town 
they went out into the street together and harry shivered for a moment as the wind from the sea met them ah that's good bethel said your fires are well enough but that wind is worth a bag of gold they walked for a while in silence and then harry said those are a fine lot of men they know what life really is bethel laughed i know what you feel about them you are glad that there's no change twenty years has made little difference there it is twenty years isn't it yes said harry one thinks that it is nothing until one comes back and then one thinks that it's more than it really is yes you're disappointed bethel said i know pendragon has become popular and to your mind that has destroyed its beauty or at any rate some of it well i hate it harry said fiercely all this noise and show why couldn't they have left pendragon alone i don't hate it for big places that are as it were in the line of march i suppose that they must move with a day that is inevitable but pendragon why when i was a boy it was simply a little town by the sea no one thought about it or worried about it it was a place wonderfully quiet and simple it was too quiet for me then i should worship it now but i have come back and it has no room for me i haven't known it as long as you bethel answered but i confess that the very charm of it lies in its contrast it is invasion if you like but for that very reason exciting two forces at work and a battle in progress with no doubt as to the ultimate victory said harry gloomily yes i see what you mean by the contrast but i cannot stand here and see them dispassionately you see i am bound up with so much of it those men to-night were my friends when i was a boy newsom is the best man that i've ever known and there is the place i love every stone of it and they would pull it down they had left the cove and were pressing up a steep path to the moor the moon was struggling through a bank of clouds the wind was whistling over their heads bethel suddenly stopped and turned towards harry mr trojan he said i'm going to be impulsive and perhaps imprudent there's nothing an englishman fears so much as impulse and he is terribly ashamed of imprudence but above all there is no time to waste and if you think me impertinent you have only to say so and the matter ends harry laughed i am delighted he began but the other stopped him no no wait a minute you don't know i'm afraid you'll think that i'm absurd most people will tell you that i am worse i want you to try to be a friend of mine at any rate to give me a chance i scarcely know you you don't know me at all but one goes on first impressions and i believe that you would understand a little better than most of these people here for one thing you have gone farther and seen more there was a little pause harry was surprised here was what he had been wanting friendship a week ago he would have seized it with both hands now he was a little distrustful a week ago it would have been natural delightful now it was unusual even a little absurd i should be very glad he said gravely i, I scarcely oh bethel broke in we shall come together naturally there's no fear of that i could see at once that you know the mysteries of this place just as i do those others here are blind i've been waiting for someone who would understand but i don't want you to listen to those other people about me they will tell you a good deal and most of it's true i don't blame em but i'm curiously anxious for you not to think with them 
it's ridiculous i know when i had never seen you before if you only knew how long i've been waiting to talk to someone about all this he waved his hand and they stopped they were standing on the moor above their head mighty grey clouds were driving like sheets before the wind and the moon a cold lifeless thing a moon of chiselled marble appeared and then as though frightened at the wild flight of the clouds vanished the sea pearly grey lay like mist on the horizon and its voice was gentle and tired as though it were slowly dying into sleep they were near the four stones gaunt grey and old the dog had followed Harry from the inn, and now ran, a white shadow, in front of them. "'Let me tell you,' Bethel said, "'about myself. You know, I was born in London, the son of a doctor with a very considerable practice. I received an excellent education, rugby and Cambridge, and was trained for the law. I was, I believe, a rather ordinary person with a rather more than ordinary power of concentration, and I got on.' I built up a business and was extremely and very conventionally happy. I married and we had a little girl, and then one summer we came down to Cornwall for our holiday. It was St. Ives. I remember that first morning as though it were yesterday. It was grey with the sea flinging great breakers. There was a smell of clover and cornflowers in the air, and great sheets of flaming poppies in the cornfields. But there was more than that it was cornwall something magical and that strange sense of old history and customs that you get nowhere else in quite the same way ah but why analyze it you know as well as i do what i mean a new man was born in me that day i had been sociable and fond of little quite ordinary pleasures that came my way now i wanted to be alone their conversation worried me it seemed to be pointless and concerned with things that did not matter at all i had done things like other men now it was all to no purpose i used to lie for hours on the cliffs watching the sea i was often out all day and i met all sorts of people tramps wasters vagabonds and they seemed the only people worth talking to i met some strange fellows but excellent company and they knew all of them the things that i knew they had been out at night and seen the moon and the stars change and the first light of the dawn and the little breeze that comes in those early hours from the sea bringing the winds of other countries with it and they were merry they had a philosophy they knew cornwall and believed in her well the holiday came to an end and i had to go back london oh my god after that i struggled I went to my work every day with the sound of that sea in my ears and the vision of those moors always there with me and the freedom if you have tasted that once if you have ever got really close so that you can hear strange voices and see beauties of which you had never dreamt well you will never get back to your old routine again i don't care how strong you are you can't do it man once she's got hold of you nothing counts that was eighteen years ago i kept my work for a year but it was killing me i got ill i nearly died once i ran away at night and tried to get to the sea but i came back there were my wife and girl we had a little money and i gave it all up and we came to live down here i have done nothing since rather shameful isn't it for a strong man 
they have thought that here they think that i am a waster by their lights i am but the things i have learnt i didn't know what living was until i came here i knew nothing i did nothing i was a dead man what do i care for their thoughts of me they are in the dark he had spoken eagerly almost breathlessly he was defending his position and harry knew that he had been waiting for years to say these things to some one of his own kind who would understand and he understood only too well had he not himself that very evening been tempted to escape to flee his duty he had resisted but the temptation had been very strong that very voice of cornwall of which bethel had spoken and if it were to return he did not know what answer he might give but he was not thinking of bethel his thoughts were with the wife and daughter that poor pathetic little woman and the girl and your wife and daughter he said what of them they are happy bethel said eagerly they are indeed i don't see them very often but they have their own interests and friends my wife and i never had very much in common ah you're going to scold he said laughing and say just what all these other horrid people say but i know i grant it you all i'm a waster through and through it's damnably selfish worst of all in this energetic and pushing age it's idle oh i know and i'm sorry but do you know i'm not ashamed i can't see it seriously i wouldn't harm a fly why can't they let me alone at least i am happy they had reached the outskirts of the town by this time and bethel stopped before a little dark house with red shutters and a tiny strip of garden here we are said he this is my place come in and smoke it must be past your dinner hour up at the flutes come and have something with me harry laughed they have already ceased wondering at my erratic habits he said new zealand is a bad place for method he followed bethel in it was a tiny hall and on entering he stumbled over an umbrella stand that lounged forward in a rickety position bethel apologized we're in a bit of a mess he said in fact to tell the truth we always are he hung his coat in the hall and led the way into the dining-room mrs bethel and her daughter came forward the little woman was amazing in a dress of bright red silk and an absurd little yellow lace cap only half the table was laid for the rest a shabby green cloth spotted with ink formed a background for an incoherent litter of papers and needlework the walls were lined with books and there were some piled on the floor a cold shoulder of mutton baked potatoes in their skins a melancholy glass dish contained celery and a salad bowl startlingly empty lay waiting on the table anne said bethel i've brought a guest up with the family port and let's be festive his great body seemed to fill the room and he brought with him the breath of the sea and the wind he began to carve the mutton like siegfried making battle with fafner and indeed again and again during the evening he reminded harry of siegfried's impetuous humour and rejoicing animal spirits mrs bethel was delighted her little eyes twinkled with excitement her yellow cap was pushed awry and her hands trembled with pleasure it was obvious that a visitor was an unusual event 
miss bethel had said very little but she had given harry that same smile that he had seen before she busied herself now with the salad and he watched her white fingers shine under the lamplight and the white curve of her neck as she bent over the bowl she was dressed in some dark stuff quite simple and unassuming but he thought that he had never seen anything so beautiful he said very little but he was quietly happy bethel did not talk very much he was eating furiously not greedily but with great pleasure and satisfaction mrs bethel talked continuously her eyes shone and her cap bobbed on her head like a living thing i said mr trojan after our meeting the other day that you would be a friend i said so to mary coming back i felt sure that first day it is so nice to have some one new in pendragon one gets used you know to the same faces and tired of them all in my old home penlicott's in surrey near marlwood beaches you change at grayling junction or you used to i think you go straight through now but there you know we knew everybody you really couldn't help it there was really only the vicar and the doctor and he was so old of course there were the draytons you must have heard of mr herbert drayton he paints things i forget quite what but i know he's good they all lived there such a lot of them and most peculiar in their habits but one gets used to anything they all lived together for some time about fifteen there were mother and i dined there once or twice and they had the funniest dining-room with pictures of job all round the room that were most queer and rather disagreeable and they all liked different things to drink so they each had a bottle of something separately it looked quite funny to see the fifteen bottles and then job on the wall you know but he really hadn't paid very much attention to her he had been thinking and wondering how was it that a man like bethel had married such a wife he supposed that things had been different twenty years ago with them as with him it was strange to think of the difference that twenty years could make she had been perhaps a little pretty dainty thing then the style of girl that a strong man like bethel would fall in love with then he thought of miss bethel what was her life with a mother like that and a father who never thought about her at all she must he thought be lonely he almost hoped that she was it gave them kinship because he was lonely too the conversation was not very animated mrs bethel was suddenly silent she seemed to have collapsed with the effort and sat huddled up in her chair with her hands in her lap he realized that he had said nothing to miss bethel and he turned to her you know london he said he wondered whether she longed for it sometimes its excitement and life oh yes she said quickly we were there you know a long while ago and i've been up once or twice since but it makes one feel so dreadfully small as if one simply didn't count and no woman likes that pendragon makes one feel smaller harry said when one is of no account even in a small place then one is small indeed he had not intended to speak bitterly but she had caught the sound of it in his voice and she was suddenly sorry for him she had been a little afraid of him before even on that terrible afternoon at the flutes but now she saw that he was disappointed he had expected something and it had failed him she said nothing then and the meet came to an end 
bethel dragged harry into his study to see the books there was the same untidiness there the table was littered with papers and pens tobacco jars numerous pipes some photographs from the floor to the ceiling were books rows on rows flung apparently into the shelves with no order or method i'm no good as far as books go said harry laughing there never was such a heathen there have always been other things to do and i must confess it is a mystery to me how men get time to read it all if i do get time i'm generally done up and a novel's the only thing i'm fit for ah then you don't know the book craze bethel said it's worse than drink i've seen it absolutely ruin a man you can't stop if you see a book you must get it whether you really want it or no you go on buying and buying and buying you get far more than you can ever read but you're a miser and you hate even lending them you sit in your room and count the covers and you're no fit company for man or beast harry looked at him you've known it oh yes i've known it i'm a bit better now i'm out such a lot but even now there's a great deal here that i've never read and i add to it continually the worst of it is he said laughing that we can't afford it it's very hard on mary and the wife but i'm a rotten loafer and that's the end of it he said it so gaily and with so little sense of responsibility that you couldn't possibly think that it weighed on him but he looked such a boy standing there with his hands in his pockets and that half penitent half humorous look in his eye that you couldn't be angry harry laughed upon my word you're amazing oh you'll get sick of me it's all so selfish and slack i know but i struggled once i'm in the grip now he talked about borrow and displayed a little grey-bound walden with pride he spoke of richard jeffreys with an intimate affection as though he had known the man he gave harry some of his enthusiasm and he lent him lavengro he described it and harry compared mentally isabel berners with mary bethel then they went up to the little drawing-room an ugly room but redeemed by a great window overlooking the sea and a large photograph of mary on the mantelpiece under the light of the lamp the silver frame glittered and sparkled he sat by the window and talked to her and again he had that same curious sense of having known her before he spoke of it i expect it's in another existence then she said as i've never been into new zealand and you've never been out of it at least since i've been born but of course i've talked about you to robin we speculated you know we hadn't any photographs much to help us and it was quite a good game ah robin i want to speak to you about him she said turning round to him you won't think me interfering will you but i've meant to speak ever since the other day i was afraid that perhaps uh, don't think it dreadfully rude of me you hadn't quite understood robin he's at a difficult age you know and there are a lot of things about him that are quite absurd and i have been afraid that you might take those absurdities for the real thing and fancy that that was all that was there cambridge and other things have made him think that a certain sort of attitude is essential if you are to get on i don't think he even sincerely believes in it but they have taught him that he must at least seem to believe 
the other things are there all right but he hides them he is almost ashamed of any one suspecting their existence thank you harry said quietly it is very kind of you and i'm deeply grateful it's quite true that robin and i haven't seemed to hit it off properly i expect that it is my fault i have tried to see his point of view and have the same interests but every effort that i've made has seemed to make things worse he distrusts me i think and well of course that hurts all the things in which i had hoped we would share have no interest for him don't you think perhaps she said that you've been a little too anxious perhaps a little too affectionate i am speaking like this because i care for robin so much we have been such good friends for years now and i think he has let me see a side of him that he has hidden from most people he is curiously sensitive and really i think very shy and most of all he has a perfect horror of being absurd that is what i meant about your being affectionate he would think perhaps that the rest were laughing at him it's as if you were dragging something that was very sacred and precious out into the light before all those others boys are like that they are terrified lest anyone should know what good there is in them it isn't quite good form they were silent for some time harry was throwing her words like a searchlight on the events of the past week and they revealed much that had been very dark and confused but he was thinking of her their acquaintance seemed to have grown into intimacy already i can't thank you enough he said again it is so nice of you she said laughing not to have thought it presumptuous of me but robin is a very good friend of mine of course you will find out what a sterling fellow he is under all that superficiality he is one of my best friends here he got up to go as he held out his hand he said i will tell you frankly miss bethel that pendragon hasn't received me with open arms i don't know why it should and twenty years in new zealand knocks the polish off but it has been delightful this evening more than you know it has been nice for us too answered mary i don't know that pendragon is exactly thronging our door night and day and a new friend is worth having you see i've claimed you as a friend because you listened so patiently to my sermon that's a sure test she had spoken lightly but he had felt the bitterness in her voice life was hard for her too then he knew that he was glad i shall come back he said please she answered he said good-bye to mrs bethel and she pressed his hand very warmly you are very kind to take pity on us she said ogling him under the gas in the hall i hope you will come often bethel said very little he walked with him to the gate and laughed we're absurd aren't we trojan he said but don't neglect us altogether even absurdity is refreshing sometimes but harry went up the hill with a happier heart than he had had since he entered pendragon that promise of adventure had been fulfilled End of chapter five